Thank you, Corey. I want you to know that um, we want to keep in our prayers our music director, Ben Powell, and his family. Ben informed me last night that he has come down with the dreaded virus, uh, which is why he's not here today. Um, and of course, they have a, a child, young child in the house, so let's remember them in our prayers. A reading from the book of Revelation. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, and they will be God's people and God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. And those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Remember being a young kid sitting in church, nine years old, bored as nine year olds often are in church. I'd already done the word search in the kids' bulletin and filled up an offering envelope playing the tic tac toe game with my brother. And there's just not a whole lot else to do. You could listen, my mother would say, but that seemed like an impossibility to me at the time, and even sometimes still. And so I took out a pew Bible, started rooting around in it, which just let me be honest about this. You know, we're, 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 we're really used to turning people loose in the Bible, that can be a dangerous thing. Now, I'm not sure quite how I got into Revelation, but I did. And in fairly short order, I was reading about beasts and dragons and the end of the world. And at first I thought, wow, 
I mean, this beats the heck out of listening to some guy sitting up there droning on from the pulpit. It was always a guy. It was, I mean, it's like sci-fi, like fantasy stuff. Tongues made out of swords and cataclysms and a rider on a white horse. I mean, that's right in my wheelhouse. It was, it was the stuff of comic books and video games. Of course, there weren't video games at that point in history, kids. <laughs> Back in the Middle Ages, all we had to play with were rocks, pointy sticks, and pong. But pretty soon, that which had left me at first intrigued started scaring me. When I realized that somehow I might get caught up in all these wild end of the world shenanigans. And I thought, how do they let kids read this stuff? I mean, what are my parents thinking? They, they, they won't even let me watch Three's Company, but they'll turn me loose to roam around in the book of Revelation, completely unsupervised. And then I remembered uh, what was at the time, I've mentioned it before, but this, this song by a, a guy named Larry Norman, it was kind of popular in the church circles that I was raised in. And... It was a brutal thing, this song was. It just scared me to death. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. <laughs> Children died. The days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. And it goes on in that same sort of cheery way for a few more verses. But I remember that so vividly. I wish we'd all been ready. I mean, what kind of title is that? It, it wouldn't surprise me if that is the song where Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins got the title for their own schlocky left behind series about people being magically caught up in the clouds to be with God, leaving unpiloted passenger planes to crash on the ground. But the whole thing gave me nightmares, and I am not exaggerating. I had really bad dreams. Jesus coming back to steal people away from their families in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep for thinking about the rapture. You know about the rapture, right? It's that belief among certain sects in popular Christianity that Jesus is going to come back in, the, in, in a flash and all the Christians are going to sort of magically take hold of a celestial port key or disapparate, taking their rightful place finally in heaven while leaving the rest of the world to figure out how to scrape by in some post-apocalyptic ecclesiastical version of Thunderdome. They used to have... Um, these bumper stickers when I was a kid, you, you might remember them. It said, in, in case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. You remember those? My old seminary professor, Newton Fowler, with a sort of decided antipathy to rapture theology, used to say that he wanted to produce his own bumper sticker that said, in case of rapture, this seminary will be fully staffed. 
But the rapture's not a thing. I mean, at least it's not a thing uh, in that sort of popular pre-tribulation rapture anyway, sort of yanking people out of their Birkenstocks and depositing them in the front of God's heavenly throne. But that is the picture that the rapture inspires, isn't it? God is somewhere out there, and the point of the rapture is to get all of the faithful out of here and out there where God is. Which is why this passage from Revelation seems so weird to me, so incongruous. Because instead of a rapture in which select human beings vacate the planet to go where God is, the author of Revelation has this movement going in the opposite direction. According to the passage, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to where we are. Instead of God plucking up mortals and transporting them to where God is, out there, Revelation shows God coming down to live among mortals, according to our passage this morning. That is to say, when Jesus redeems time and creation, the rapture goes in reverse, and God makes a home among us. Now, if this passage in Revelation is anything like right, that changes the fundamental assumptions about just how important here is, doesn't it? What I mean to say is that if the new heaven and the new earth are located where we are, then where we are is not just a stop along the way to someplace better. Our job as followers of Jesus isn't to live in such a way that we'll be miraculously raptured out of here, but to live in anticipation of God's intention to make a home in our midst. See, Revelation shows us that rather than destroy the home of mortals in some sort of apocalyptic fireball or some divinely manipulated hunger games, God intends to set up shop among mortals, making all things new. So let me ask you a question. If God loves this place where we are, at least enough to come and live among us, then what are the implications for how we treat this place and those who live in it. I mean, if God is stoked enough about this place where we are, then the old heaven and the old earth aren't disposable vessels to be abused as we see fit because they're only going to be thrown, uh, thrown away, blown up in favor of a more celestial accommodation anyway. I mean, if, if we're already living on the site of the new heaven and the new earth, shouldn't we be treating it with some respect, you know? I mean, God cares enough about the earth to set up shop here, which means we have a responsibility to treat it with care. The environment, the atmosphere, the water, the air, the earth itself, these aren't just resources to be used up, places to dump our unwanted styrofoam cups. This is the nest we ought to be very circumspect about fouling. Wendell Berry reminds us that creation is not a place into which we reach from some safe standpoint outside of it. We are in it and are a part of it while we use it. If it does not thrive, we cannot thrive. 
but more than just its usefulness to us while we're here. Creation is the product and object of God's creative desire. This is what God wanted. This is what God called good. Consequently, we ought to be especially reflective before we abuse the sight of the new heaven and the new earth, which, if our passage this morning is to be believed, is God's ultimate home address. But perhaps even more importantly than the location of God's home address is who already lives there. That is to say, not only is it important to be mindful of the fact that God intends to pitch a tent in this place because God loves this place, it's important to remember that God wants to live in this place because that's where we are. The home of God isn't in some otherworldly alternate universe. The author of Revelation tells us that the home of God is among mortals. But that's us. God doesn't have a second vacation home in La Jolla. God's primary residence is right here in the middle of all the folks we love as well as all the folks with whom we wouldn't be caught dead on a Saturday night. Right? here with us. And if we treat the world we inhabit with respect and care because it is God's creation, what does that say about how we should treat the people who also happen to reside at this address? I mean, if God loves all these folks enough to want to make a home among them, how can we say we love God if we don't love them too? And not just the lovable ones either. Friends and family, your kindergarten teacher, Mr. Rogers, Andy Griffith. I mean, what about the folks who live here who aren't really easy even to be in the same room with, let alone occupy the same heaven with? You see what I mean, right? I mean, C.S. Lewis said that there are folks who'd rather live in hell all by themselves than live in heaven with people they're pretty sure don't deserve to be there in the first place. But see, I mean, that's that's the catch, isn't it? Our passage this morning about the New Jerusalem doesn't say that God's home is among mortals, except for, you know, the Muslims or the atheists or the Republicans or the Democrats, depending on what your, your politics is. God doesn't say this place would be just perfect if we could get rid of the people who live on the other side of town. Or if we could just check the papers, the undocumented, or the hoodlums, or the St. Louis Cardinals fans. God says, okay, so it's a fixer-upper. I'll take it. I'm going to do some renovation anyway, but the neighborhood is just exactly my kind of people. Now, some of you might be saying, we're we're pretty good ways into this whole sermon thing, and it's still not clear to us what exactly it has to do with all saints. Are you getting any close to anything like a point here? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, when we talk about saints, we usually have the, the sort of the varsity Christians in mind, don't we? The folks who've been so virtuous that the church has put them in the sort of Christian hall of fame. 
The big names like the Apostles or St. Francis or St. Hildegard or St. Ignatius or St. Julian of Norwich. I mean, you know, the bigwigs, right? Or if they're not official yet, people like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or Dorothy Day or Martin Luther King or Elizabeth Cady Stanton or Harvey Milk. And, I mean, if we're being practical about it, we also mean the, the saints who've been in our lives, right? Uncle Earl or, 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 or Grandma or Mom or Dad or that 11th grade chemistry teacher who never gave up on us or the, the woman who usually sits behind us in church. I mean, whoever we think of, when people say saint, they tend to be folks who've gone on before us and who are now in the presence of God. In, in, in the funerals that I do, in the final prayer, it ends by saying, acknowledge we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive her into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. In other words, it's, it, it, it's common to assume that the saints are those who already live in God's presence, those who have endured, who've remained faithful, who sit at the foot of the throne of God, singing praises, and according to Revelation, offering up prayers like incense on our behalf. The saints in light in some far-off heavenly abode out there where the streets are made of gold, a city of crystal with 12 gates made from 12 pearls, which is to say someplace way out there and way different from right here where we still try to make sense of the episodes that prompt movements like Black Lives Matter or Me Too or I Can't Breathe where we still struggle to endure global climate change and housing shortages and terrorism and hunger and disease and houselessness and the real wives of Des Moines. But if the saints are those who live in the presence of God and if Revelation tells us that the home of God is among mortals right here where we are, then the saints are here among us right now. All those who've gone before to be sure, but also, and this is crucial, all those who continue to endure, who continue to remain faithful, who continue to sing praises and offer up prayers like incense on our behalf. I mean, we're not the only saints, of course, but we stand in a long and unbroken line of saints who continue to try to live lives meant to welcome God home. Because home is not only where God is, home is for God where we are. We're part of the glorious company of the saints in light right now, not, not just in some future otherworldly place. God lives among mortals, among those who spend their days in the factories or on the farms, among those who struggle to make it till payday and, 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 and those who stand in line at the DMV among those who fear every day for the safety and well-being of their children and those who very often manage to do something heroic and brave. 
Where God is, is here. Which means that we probably ought to do our best to be here too. Loving the people with whom we happen to occupy this dusty patch of ground. And not some of the people, but all of the people. And it seems to me that there's, there's plenty of enough rapture in that. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.